Friends, thank you so much for being in worship. My name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. I want to say what's up to everybody at Westside, and we got a lot of folks who uh, encountered this message online or on our podcast, and so I want to thank you for your time as well. I don't know if you wonder why this time of year so many fish specials pop up, fish fries, or even places like Arby's are selling fish sandwiches. Uh, There's a tradition in Christianity to abstain from eating meat through the season of Lent. And so smart fast food places are like, hey, let's up the fish sandwich advertising. Lent is the season of seven weeks leading up to Easter before we celebrate the resurrection. And so for these seven weeks during this Lenten season, if you want to impress your friends, uh, we are looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. The book of John contains all these statements and it was written to show us who Jesus is. What is the nature of his mission? And my hope is throughout the series, when Jesus says, I am, we will learn who we are also. Today we're looking at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. And what I hope we'll discover today is that we are called into the light. I was at a conference a couple years ago and I checked into a hotel and they had some construction stuff going on, some remodeling. They warned me about that, but I didn't think anything of it. And I'm on my way to my room and I get in the elevator, you know, door shut and doors open. I step off and the whole hallway is pitch black. And I I looked around and thought, nope, and turned right back around and got on the elevator. Like, I'm, I'm, 30, I'm a grown man, and I was, I was afraid. The darkness can be scary, but, but here's the thing. We can also enjoy darkness. We can seek out darkness, particularly when we have something to hide. If you're trying to conceal something, then darkness is your friend. The themes of light and darkness run all throughout the Bible, and especially in the book of John. Jesus put it this way. This is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's from John chapter 3. I think there's pretty much three reasons why people remain or are in darkness. The first is that some people like it that way. As Alfred said in the movie The Dark Knight, some men just want to watch the world burn. Other people are in darkness because they don't know any better and they haven't been shown a different way. And finally, there's some people who are living in darkness but think they're the light. And this is the group that Jesus takes on in John chapter 8. The Pharisees were people who believed that to follow God meant meant to adhere and and prioritize uh, very strict rules when it came to being obedient to God. You can almost think of them like a religious or political party. These were the teachers in the temple and the elite religious leaders of the time. And Jesus and this group of, of Pharisees Oh, they're on a collision course, and that tension is building in John 7, and it comes to a head in chapter 8. And before we jump in to read our scripture, I thought it was important that we take a moment to talk about our scripture this morning. Depending on what kind of Bible you have access to, uh, or if you're just encountering this for the first time, I, I wanted to make sure we pointed something out. 
Uh, there may be a note right after John chapter 7, verse 52. In the NIV Bible, this is what it looks like. It says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John chapter 7, verse 53 through John chapter 8, verse 11. This means the earliest written copies of what would become our Bible didn't contain the section that we're going to read. Now, that doesn't bug me, and that doesn't necessarily need to bother you, but I wanted to point this out. Right? A few weeks ago, we talked about how to study the Bible and that the Bible is complicated. This would be an example. The earliest accounts of Jesus' life, they weren't written for decades until after his death and resurrection. But when you did as many amazing things as Jesus did and when you were as popular or renowned as Jesus was, people are gonna talk about it. And so there developed an oral tradition around the life of Jesus, his teachings and his ministry. So these stories about Jesus, along with the experiences of the writers of the Gospels and other eyewitness testimonies, they formed kind of the raw material of what would become our Gospels, these books about the good news of Jesus, these biographies about the life of Christ. And in this case, we're working with the book of John. And so these these audibly transmitted or orally transmitted stories about Jesus came to be recorded and that formed the Gospels. Again, in this case, the book of John. Now, when you break down the verbiage used in Greek in the section we're going to read and compare that with other parts of John, there's, there's, there's a lot of unique words used. They don't really match, which, which means this section of scripture we're going to read probably wasn't authored by John. But that doesn't mean that this story didn't happen. The story we're going to read is consistent with other teachings of Jesus In the story, he challenges the Pharisees' pious approach and interpretation of the law, and it also supports Jesus claiming things on his own authority. So the scripture we're about to read has been used by the Holy Spirit and employed by the church since St. Jerome translated the Bible into Latin in the year 382. So that's why we're going to use it today. We're going to use it for the same purpose, that the Holy Spirit would use it to build up the church. That's what we're here to do. So let's dive in. Now that you've got a little academic background on our scripture this morning, let's start with John chapter 7, verse 53, and read into chapter 8, verse 6. Then each of them went home, referring to the chief priests and Pharisees, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. This tells you just about everything you need to know about the Pharisees, doesn't it? They bring this woman before Jesus, not out of concern for the state of her soul, not to lovingly correct her, but to use her as bait. Jesus' response to me is equally puzzling and hilarious. It says he bends down and starts doodling in the dirt. What was was he writing? There's no way to know. Uh, I've, I've, I've heard some preachers say, what if Jesus were writing all of the other Pharisees' sins on the ground. Maybe that's what he was doing. Interesting take. No way to say for certain. 
When they kept on questioning him, verse 7 says, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. So here was a woman who was without hope because she had been living in sin. She had been inhabiting darkness. Now, how would you feel if you were dragged in front of the church and all your sins displayed under the threat of death? Let's try and get our minds around that. Would anybody want their search history to come up on this screen right now? We don't know a lot of details. We don't know the woman's response to Jesus. We don't know what she did next. But there is one detail is missing. Last time I checked, in order for there to be adultery, it takes two parties. They brought the woman before Jesus, but where's the dude? Have you ever thought about that? This double standard is something that many women are well accustomed to, and lots of us men, such as myself, are oblivious to. And so the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is on display on a few different levels here. Now, a lot of folks like to quote the first part of verse 11 when Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But let's not forget that not only did Jesus uh, not give her a condemnation, in the same breath he offered her an invitation to go and leave your life of sin, as one translation says. From now on, do not sin again. I loved what Methodist founder John Wesley said. He said, neither do I take upon me to pass any such sentence. Let this deliverance lead thee to repentance. I don't condemn you. I release you to live the life God has called you to live. Go and do not sin again. So having refused to condemn this woman to death and invited her to repentance, the next verse returns us to the earlier manuscripts in the book of John. We're kind of back at the standard now. If you're reading certain translations, everything we've read so far would be in italics, just to note, hey, this is kind of the deal. But now we're back on track, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And again, Jesus, the them he's speaking to is the Pharisees. And here's his declarative statement. I am the light of the world. And the implication here is that he is the light of the world and the Pharisees are living in darkness. And this gets them riled up. They don't like this one bit. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Now the Pharisees are trying to litigate with Jesus. They're trying to get him caught up on a technicality. There was a law in their, in their belief that you needed two witnesses for a valid testimony, and that'll be referred to in just a moment. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid, for it is not alone I who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. There it is. Jesus is taking on their argument. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, where is your father? 
Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Let's remember that the reason the Pharisees dragged this woman in front of Jesus in the first place was to test Jesus. And now they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to catch him on a technicality. They're testing Jesus. This group is challenging Jesus' testimony in terms of their law. The earlier question with the woman was, according to the law, what, what would you do? The Pharisees are in a dark place of judgment, but here's the thing. They think they're doing people a favor. They think they're doing God a favor by being this way. Jesus is challenging the religious authorities. He's calling them from darkness into light. And it's even more shocking when you consider the environment, the arena in which this was going down. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus was doing this on the Pharisees' home turf. It was on, it was, he, Jesus was playing in the Pharisees' home game, home field. I mean, think about the guts that took. This is the type of stuff that gets you crucified, by the way. Claiming to be the light of the world, and by extension, that the Pharisees are in darkness, is not something that wins you friends and makes political alliances. It's the opposite. This is the type of thing that gets you crucified. And then Jesus said that his hour had not yet come, or excuse me, the book of John said that his hour had not yet come. This phrase refers to the, uh, Jesus' betrayal, execution on the cross, and resurrection. His hour had not yet come. That phrase or something very similar to it occurs 18 times in the book of John. That's a major theme. Now the woman was living in darkness because of her sin. The Pharisees were in darkness because of their motivations. They were also sinful. Jesus corrects them both. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We talked earlier about people walking in darkness for one of three reasons. One, they like it that way. Two, they don't know better. Or three, they don't realize they're in the dark and think they're the light. Friends, we are called into the light. How do we respond when the light of Christ comes to us? One response is to hide and try and and keep our deeds in darkness. The human instinct to run and hide And to be deceitful goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they hid. They tried to hide from the sight of God. Hiding out of of shame or self-preservation is understandable, but it isn't helpful. And, And we're only fooling ourselves because God sees everything, especially what is done in secret. So if you are suffering with addiction or or some type of, of a persistent sin in your life. If you're not sure where to start, please reach out to one of us pastors because we have resources that we can help put you in touch with. Friends, we are called into the light. It's time to bring those things we try to hide into the light. When the light comes to you, it can also be disorienting. You ever walk straight out of a movie theater into the parking lot, into the sunlight, and you do kind of one of these? Oh, oh man. But that's, that's kind of how being a Christian can seem. The light of Christ can be disorienting. The truth of Christ can seem like foolishness to the world. The last shall be first. Things like love your enemies. If you want to truly save your life, you need to be willing to give up your life. This is the opposite of most of the things we think about. 
So if, you, if this following Jesus stuff seems a little confusing or difficult or disorienting, you're on the right track. This is a picture of my son Aaron at a couple days old. He was born a little dude and had some complications. Uh, as brand new parents, you don't like to go back to the hospital after you've come home. Uh, but they wanted to monitor my son's jaundice. Jaundice is when there's too much of a compound called bilirubin in your body. Bilirubin, not as fun as it sounds. Because uh, your skin turns yellow, uh, your blood is doing weird things because the, the overabundance of this bilirubin. And then they said something to us kind of offhand, like, yeah, we really want to make sure that doesn't cross the brain hemisphere. Now, being at a children's hospital with a kid with jaundice, you understand real quick that you could, there's a lot worse things that, that your child could be dealing with. And I understand that. But you're tired, right? You're, sorry, as the guy, oh, I was so tired. But I was. You're tired, you're sleep deprived. You've been a parent for about a minute and now these doctors are talking about brain damage. You're like, wait, what? What? You know what the treatment is for jaundice? Light. How do you respond when the light of Christ comes to you? Friends, Ultimately, our response is to receive that light, walk in the light, and be healed. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the light you sent into a dark world. The life and teachings and good news of resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. That new life is possible that all we have to do to receive this light is accept it instead of earn it. So God, help us call to mind those things that we try and keep in darkness, those things we would rather have a secret. And help us bring them into your light. You already know what's going on anyway. So where it is appropriate, help us to make amends. Where it is helpful and healthy, help us to put away those sinful thoughts and behaviors that hold us back from the life you've called us to. God, it isn't easy. It doesn't happen instantly. So help us on our journey. Help us to walk in the light of Christ, the light of the world. Amen.